0: If you are ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. If you're listening to us live, today is Pentecost Sunday. This feast day marks the end of the Easter season and is widely known as the birthday of the church. You may remember this from scripture readings at Mass but it celebrates the Holy Spirit descending upon the apostles, Mary, and the first followers of Jesus, who were gathered together in hiding in the upper room. A strong driving wind filled the room and tongues of fire came to rest on their heads, allowing them to speak different languages and understand each other. As Christians, we're called to evangelize much like the apostles and the early followers of Christ. But many of us... 70% from a statistic I read, are afraid to share their faith or participate in evangelization. If they're anything like me, it may have to do with the types of evangelization we've been exposed to in the past, or misconceptions we may have about it. Pope Francis says all Catholics are called to evangelize, but he's the Pope, and I'm just me. I don't consider myself a theological scholar by any stretch of the imagination. What do I know? What if they have questions and I don't have the answers? I don't have all the important verses memorized or know exactly where to even find the passage. So what are we as Catholics called to do? How can we make the process of evangelization not weird and uncomfortable for both us and whomever we're speaking to? Today, I'm joined by Father Jonathan Sawicki, Director of Vocations with the Diocese of Harrisburg, to help me shed some light, or fire in this case, on the birth of the church and some practical tips on how we can share our faith without being defensive or seeming holier than thou. Father Sawicki, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you back on the program. You're just a wealth of knowledge, and I love having you here.
1: And if you don't know the answer, make it up. (laughs)
0: That always works. Would you mind telling me a little bit more about Pentecost?
1: Pentecost, it's, the, it's often called the birthday of the church, okay? And in the Catholic and the Christian sense of Pentecost, it's the feast when the Holy Spirit descended upon Mary and the apostles who were huddled in the cenacle, the upper room in Jerusalem. Now, we didn't invent the word Pentecost there was a feast of the Jews called Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot, okay? And it was a Jewish celebration of the first fruits of the wheat harvest. So it would happen typically in the spring, and roughly it occurred, that Feast of Weeks occurred several weeks after the Feast of Passover, or approximately 50 days after Passover, and that's when, at the end of May, the beginning of June, in our own calendar to this day, uh, is when they would celebrate this Feast of Weeks and the wheat harvest, the first wheat harvest. And they'd go to the temple in Jerusalem and, and have these Thanksgiving services to God for a good harvest, and it was 50 days after Passover, and the Greek word for 50 is Pentecost. And so Pentecost, in the Catholic sense, is 50 days after Easter. Uh, So the 40th day after Easter is Ascension Thursday. And then add another 10 days between that day and Pentecost, you get 50. So the Feast of Pentecost is this this story from the Acts of the Apostles, the second chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, when they were huddled in the upper room because they were afraid. Now, why were the Jewish people afraid? Their teacher, their guide, the Lord who they thought was dead— who rose from the dead and showed himself to them, then ascends to heaven. And then once again, they start clamming up, remembering all the trauma, they remember all the the stress of the event, and they're collapsed in fear once again. But then this great rushing wind entered that cenacle, that upper room, and then as the sacred scripture records, tongues as of fire descended upon the heads of the apostles. Now, in Jerusalem, because it was this great big feast of Shavuot, all these people from all these different language groups were assembled there for the feast, for the feast of the first fruits, for the wheat harvest. And all these Jewish people in the upper room somehow were able to understand all these myriad of languages that were being spoken, this this feast of uh, of the tongues of the Holy Spirit and then of literally the... Uh, ability to understand the languages. Now scripture scholars have said, well, because they were gathered in love and because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of love, no longer were they filled with pride. You're not speaking our language. They were, a- And then there's, of course, the supernatural gift that they were able to understand because the Holy Spirit came upon them in order for them to go to all the parts of the world and to make those disciples of the nations in in the name of Jesus Christ. So that one word, Pentecost, often called the birthday of the church, there's the Jewish feast and the setting of all these people in Jerusalem. And then there's the disciples who were in fear, but with the power of God, the Holy Spirit of God, they were then empowered and energized and joyful to go forth to transform the world.
0: That's fascinating. I never knew the Jewish aspect of it. And I love that numbers play a huge role in in biblical teachings so can you tell me we talked about this a little bit but can you expand a little bit more on why the timing of pentecost is important especially in our religion
1: so we remember that that number 40 that uh, the number 40 which is uh the day of a a coming to perfection 40 years traveling the desert moses and uh, the jewish people in the exodus experience that they were being perfected in the desert 40 days jesus was praying fasting in the desert in order to begin his ministry. Forty days for the apostles and the disciples to come to the awareness. Jesus really is risen from the dead, and then Jesus ascends to heaven. But then the novena days between the ascension of our Lord to heaven and Pentecost are incredibly important. Many Catholics pray novenas. Here in Harris, the Harrisburg area, there is the perpetual novena at the Miraculous Medal Shrine, the Church of St. Catherine Laboret. Every Monday, people say this, come together, they adore the Blessed Sacrament, and they offer the prayers in honor to Our Lady of the Miraculous Medal, Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception. That's an example of a perpetual novena. This coming summer in Scranton, Pennsylvania, there's the yearly novena to St. Anne. So for nine straight days, people go to St. Anne's Basilica and make this novena. And other parishes might do this on a smaller level. But those that novena, that word that means nine, comes from the very first novena of the church, the nine days of anxious, anticipating uh, expectation that something was going to help them. And that's the advocate, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the consoler. Okay, the, I always say paraclete. It's not which, which is parakletos in Greek, which is advocate, the, the one who pleads for another, not parakeet like the bird. People think it's the parakeet because they see the, the dove in the church. Oh, it's the parakeet. No, it's not. That's, that's a dove. Par, doves and parakeets are two different things. But but that's the novena, and those are the novena days that the church is praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And There are some churches. When I was a pastor in, in York, we used to pray the Pentecost novena after each daily mass, and we'd uh, we'd we'd pray for a, one of the different uh, gifts or fruits of the Holy Spirit.
0: That's interesting. I always wondered about the no- novena and why it was nine days, and this makes a whole lot more sense now. So thank you. You're welcome. Are priest ordinations always done around Pentecost, and and why? I understand we have one coming up, which is very exciting. So
1: we'll be ordaining at least four new priests. Hopefully five. We're waiting on one to have some final paperwork come from Rome for his dispensation from the religious community into our and then incarnation into our diocese. So we expect to ordain a total of five men this summer. We're sure we're going to ordain four on June fourth. It's actually coincidental this year that Pentecost is the same weekend as those men are going to be offering their first masses. It's coincidental that it usually happens around Pentecost just because it's the end of the academic year for our seminarians. After their uh, six or eight years of seminary formation, Pentecost is in the spring months, the late spring months, because it's the harvest of the first fruits, of the wheat harvest uh, originally. And... This is when schools get out. So it's coincidental, but there's a beautiful symbolism that our our priests are going to be beginning their priestly ministry on Pentecost weekend. But, you know, I mean, there have been times in the history of the diocese where you talk to the old-timers, and these were the men ordained back in the 40s and 50s. They were ordained in March, given a first assignment to last two or three months, and then for the priest changes in June their second and long-term first assignment. So that's how things were done in the olden days. It's been very flexible over the over the decades. So when people say, well, that's what's usually been done. Well, that's what's usually been done for 30 years, but you talk to guys who were ordained 60 years ago, and they have different memories and experiences.
0: That's interesting, and I like that it just happens to coincide with Pentecost most of the time. I always joke that... Um, Coincidences are miracles where God decides to remain anonymous. Oh, sure. And and that one just fits perfectly. With Pentecost being kind of like the birth of the church and evangelization, can you talk to me a little bit about what does evangelization mean and why is it important in our faith?
1: The evangelist is the person who shares the good news. The evangelium, or the good news, was was what the word of god is. So and even in that greek word there's good and announcement. Okay, so uh Eucharist and evangelization. So there's something about offering thanks uh there's something good about that that e e u at the beginning of the word in greek is about goodness. Okay. So not to get into a Greek lesson, because I couldn't stand Greek for the three semesters I had it in seminary. I gritted my teeth all the way through it. But it's the proclamation of the good news. The evangelists recorded the life of Christ, which is the good news of salvation. Okay, The evangelary in a, in, in a church is the book of the Gospels. Okay, So there's a name, the evangelary, which is that book that the deacon carries in in the opening procession at Mass and at the Gospel procession. So evangelization means the sharing of the good news. What is it important for the Catholic faith? We're supposed to share our faith with others and to bring them to that faith which brings salvation. That's expected of us as Catholic Christians, that it's not just a singular proposition between me and Jesus. There's always the fruit that we have to bear in our lives that other people, through our example of life and through our preaching, I don't mean preaching as in standing on a street corner. The preaching can sometimes be listening at work and saying, I hear the pain that you're going through. Can I share with you my perspective of how my faith can help you through this? That's preaching. You know, there's a, a quote that's often attributed to Francis of Assisi, though he may not have actually said it: preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. We have to share that faith with others, because if faith in Jesus Christ brings eternal salvation, we should want as many people as possible to experience that for themselves. Now, will God condemn them if they've never heard the proclamation? God is merciful, but that also means that God will be just with those who had the opportunity to share the faith and to share that good news of salvation with them. So that's, we do it for ourselves to 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 bring works, the good works, to that faith which is within us. And we do it for them because we know it's for their good as well. I think that's why it's important.
0: I read a statistic that said roughly 70% of Catholics feel uncomfortable talking to others about their faith or converting them. And I have to admit I'm one of them. I can remember being on college campuses and seeing people standing on the street corner just loudly proclaiming whatever it was they were proclaiming and just feeling just generally uncomfortable, is there a way that we can tactfully share the gospel without feeling weird or defensive?
1: I think that we have to be humble, and we have to remember that we know our Scripture in ways that are different than many of our brothers and sisters in the various other Christian communities. We've met people, Protestant friends, who can quote Scripture, chapter, and verse. Most Catholics can't do that. But the reality is that we use a lot of Scripture within our worship, within our liturgy. And while we might not be able to quote it where exactly it comes from, we've internalized so many of those responsorial Psalms or the readings because they come up that while we won't be able to say, say, well, it's in this verse here, we'll say, I know it's in the Bible, but I know there's this saying that I think St. Paul wrote. Well, which letter? I can't tell you the letter, and I always say to people very disarmingly, I'm Catholic, remember, we're not supposed to read the Bible, and then we laugh. Mm-hmm. And and then I'll say, but we do read the Bible, and I do remember hearing it this way. The other th- So I, I think that there's a, especially in our area, where sometimes it can be the Bible Belt of Pennsylvania, there's an intimidation factor, and then we think ourselves less capable than we really are. The other part of this is, I think that sometimes we negate the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we're reminded, the sacred scripture tells us somewhere, but I can't tell you the chapter and verse because I'm not good at that, that the Holy Spirit will tell us, will give us the words that we need to say when we need to say them. So it's not just incumbent on our memorization. It's that the Holy Spirit, we have to trust that he is alive and active within us, that He'll give us those words necessary when it's when it's there. I think that might come from the Acts of the Apostles, maybe. We could tell you the entire story of salvation just by going to the Easter Vigil. But can we quote exactly which book it came from, which testament always? That's a little harder because, you know, we don't want to just base our faith on memorization, but the faith of the lived experience that we have in Jesus Christ. So... Just that one example right there. You have to use humor at times. You have to be disarming and not be in it to win a fight. One of the worst things in is thinking evangelization is winning the debate. So you know the old saying, if you could win the debate, you could still lose the soul, especially if it's done in pride, because it cannot be our own, our own labor. It's not our work. It's the work of Jesus Christ. There's the old adage that I, I, I read once or heard once. A young priest went up to... Uh, Monsignor Fulton Sheen, who was then, before he was the archbishop, and Life is Worth Living fame, you know, he had the television show back in the 1950s, and this young priest went up and said, Monsignor Sheen, Monsignor Sheen, I've been a priest for three years, and I've made 38 converts. And Fulton Sheen, who made dozens of hundreds of high-profile converts, said, stop counting, it's not your work, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think that that's an important remembrance, that the work of evangelization is not for our pride in winning an argument. It's for helping a soul come to faith in Jesus Christ. And when the person says, I owe my faith to you, I always would say to someone, you owe your faith to Jesus Christ. It's the grace that we come to believe. So I think that that's an important thing. So it's not to win a debate. It's to trust in the Holy Spirit alive in our lives that he will give us the words necessary to aid another person to come to faith in Jesus Christ, and you know what? If people laugh at us, what did Jesus say about that? And I do remember where this one is. Blessed are you when they suffer, when you suffer persecution for my name's sake. You know the Beatitudes, which is what Matthew chapter five one to eleven. That's what I do remember, right? I mean, we have to we have to be willing to stick our necks out, and and that's okay. The other thing is. Just like our kids riding a bike. If they take a tumble, well get back up and learn to ride the bicycle again. The only way you're going to ride the bike is not watching YouTube videos, reading Wikipedia tutorials. It's to sit on the seat and put your feet on the pedals wearing a helmet and going on there and praying that you don't crash and get all scraped up. But when you do, you learn the lesson and you try again. And I think that's a way that Catholics can share the faith. You have to practice it. You have to be willing to trust the Holy Spirit to guide us through it.
0: I think that's a great reminder and a really good analogy because I know personally when, you know, like on those college campuses, I always was afraid to talk about it because, you know, I, I don't know all the verses. You know, I don't feel like I'm edu- I'm not a religious so how am I supposed to be able to talk about it? But I like I really love your analogy of getting back on the bike and the Holy Spirit working through us and it's one of those things that I heard in in sales seminars of you can't say the wrong thing to the right person. So I really like that. Thank you. How can we build up the courage to take action?
1: First we have to have an active prayer life. We have to be prepared to be able to encounter the Lord when he comes to to encounter us when he gives us those opportunities. The second one is a look for the opportunities. We have to be attentive. So it, it depends. We have to rely on the Lord, but we also have to use the opportunities God is presenting to us. Now, there's a difference in, in the world today. Several years ago, between these two words that I'm going to throw out there, several years ago, Pope Francis got some people bent out of shape when he said, we should not proselytize. I forget how many years ago, it's was like maybe 13 or 14, he said, we, Christians do not proselytize. And then there are people who said, this is horrible, the Pope's saying, we're supposed to bring people to the faith, we're supposed to spread the faith. But speaking from the Latin American context, proselytismo, proselytization, is different than evangelization, evangelismo. Okay, so there's the spreading of the faith, the sharing of the faith, evangelization, sharing the good news. Proselytizing, which is what sometimes we think is sharing the news, is actually kind of browbeating people to share the news. Working in Spanish ministry, there were times that people would say, you know, Father, I was going to this Christian denomination there. I said, oh, well, oh, how did that happen? Well, Father, they gave, you know, we were, we were down and out. My husband lost his job, and they gave us a basket of food and said, well, now will you come to worship with us? Well, that's proselytization. That's almost taking advantage of people in the name of Jesus Christ in order to make numbers. That's like us saying, we will accept a woman into Lord's house as long as she makes a profession of faith and a promise to always be a Catholic. Lord's house is Catholic Charities' home for women in troubled pregnancies. Well, no, we serve people no matter what without expecting repayment. So that's one thing when we look at the opportunities, that this is about Jesus Christ, not about winning numbers. I think that's really important. So the practical tips, how do we look for these opportunities? We make sure that it's about Jesus, not about us. I think also that humility of life—that this is not our work; it is the work of the Holy. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of Jesus Christ. It can't just be about our human pride, uh, you know, as, as as fragile as it can be. You no, know, it's not easy to be rejected, feel rejection. Jesus was that was that's the lesson of the cross, and we're in good we're in good measure. What are the words that we're able to offer to that coworker or to that neighbor, We're... Even better yet, the credible, nat- the the credible nature of our lives, so that when someone encounters us, they know that Jesus, that we are walking with Jesus, that we're not just pious and reverent when we're in church on Sunday, but we're carrying that respect for the name of God and the respect of the dignity of life, the rest of the week. The recording of this episode in the morning, uh, mass readings it talked about Paul and Silas being in jail. And they were singing the praises of God while they were being imprisoned. And the jailer was so worried that once this angel came to break them from the prison bars, he was worried, like, they're going to kill me for being a bad jailer. And Paul and Silas said, no, don't worry about it. And at that moment, the jailer became a follower of Christ. Now he witnessed something extraordinary, something uh, above the realm of human nature, and this 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 wondrous freeing from the prison bars. But how was he primed to believe in the message of Jesus Christ? But perhaps through the credible example of faith of Paul and Silas. Now if Paul and Silas were cussing up a storm and acting like rabble rousers, and then it came. He might he might have done this because. He's not going to believe in a message of mercy from these guys who were being vile. But because they were joyfully witnessing to their faith, even in harsh circumstances, I think that that probably gave a preparation for that jailer to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. So I think that these are some of these things that we have to do. What are the opportunities, the practical opportunities? Most people are not going to go uh, getting a radio show. Most people are not going to become well-known bloggers trying to win intellectual debates about Christianity and our Catholic faith. I, sometimes I say to people, and don't just be a Facebook Catholic, a social media Catholic. Oh, I'm, I'm posting these memes, and I'm, I'm reaching a lot of people. How many people actually diligently read a Facebook announcement or a meme that they get shared? And I think that they can be a distraction to the actual work of evangelization, especially when our human pride is involved. Well, didn't you see what I posted? Didn't you see? Didn't you give i I'm going to win this debate with me. Because inevitably, our faith and evangelization is a person-to-person, not through a computer screen or a telephone screen. And the substitution of technology, I think, can actually hamper the work of evangelization because it depersonalizes it. The other thing, what's a person's experience? The other person's experience, what are they really being burdened with. Someone wants to come to me, they want to talk about the questions of faith. First, well, how do you understand fatherhood? Not just because you can't understand fatherhood, you're not going to be able to stand God as father. If you don't understand living a virtuous Christian life, how are you going to understand extreme virtue, which is Jesus Christ dying on the cross? So sometimes if our human nature is very wounded, then the supernatural is going to be hampered a bit. So I think that we always have to personalize, you know, make subjective, you know, focused on the the person, not just objectify, I'm winning a soul for Christ. Who is the soul that I hope to bring to Jesus Christ? And it's not about winning and losing, because that's the work of the Holy Spirit, not my own work. Does it make sense?
0: It does. It makes a lot of sense. And it it goes back to what you were saying earlier about that quote from hopefully St. Francis of Assisi. Yes, yes. (laughs) So yes, that makes a whole lot of sense about living through example. And I think that is amazing. So I guess the ultimate form of evangelization would be vocations. What if we wanted to learn more about vocations to the priesthood? Where would we go for information?
1: That's an excellent question. The ultimate goal of the Christian life is to live his or her vocation in Christ. What is Christ requesting them to do? I helped Bishop Gaynor at a baccalaureate at Our Lady of Lords High School this past week, and he said the most two most important dates in your life are the day that you are born and the day you come to the realization of why you were born. That's the vocation in Christ. Everybody's called to holiness, and holiness is the work of the Holy Spirit alive in your heart. But then there are those men who might be called to the priesthood. There are those women who are called to the consecrated life. I think that that's something that an invitation that has to be given to every young person. Do they have that religious vocation when they live out what we call the evangelical or the gospel-rooted, the good news-rooted counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience? So there are people who take the gospel as their entire life and let it permeate their lives. That's the religious vocation. First, I think you should talk to a priest. you got to talk to a priest or a religious sister, someone who's living the life. Say, why are you living this life? How do I know if I should be living this life? There's lots of stuff out there on the Internet. Now, one of the problems is you could read yourself full of stuff on the Internet. And I think Grover Cleveland, I read on the Internet that Grover Cleveland said, believe half of what you read on the Internet. And, you know, so someone, I said that to someone once, said, and they said, the internet didn't exist with Grover Cleveland. And I said, well, I read it on the internet.
0: It must be true. It must
1: be. And they don't get it, like the ridiculousness. <laughs> but there's so much stuff on the internet with, with especially with religious vocations. I mean, some, like some of it's just wholly inaccurate. So it's important to ask that trustworthy source who's a person, whether you're parish priest, a religious sister at a nearby school or a hospital or a convent here at the diocesan center reach out to me here at the Diocesan Office Center in the Office of Vocations. I'd be happy to assist anybody who reaches out, okay? But really, because a religious vocation is from the heart of the person discerning or considering it, trying to listen to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, it's done personally. It can't be done alone. You need the support of other people, whether it's Director of Vocations, myself, or parish priest or clergy or religious. Maybe shameless plug, upcoming in the Diocese of Harrisburg this summer, 2022, our Quilatus Days, a retreat for young men from ages 15 to 25, will be held at Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Emmitsburg from June 26th to June 30th, Sunday through Thursday, and then a retreat for young women, Fiat Days, uh, from July 5th through July 8th, at St. Mary of Providence Retreat Center in Elverson, Pennsylvania. So Quo and Fiat days have long been a part of our uh, programming in the Diocese of Harrisburg Office of Vocations, and lots of people have taken advantage of these retreat offerings to be able to talk one-on-one with our seminarians or our priests. Our seminarians too are gonna to be going out to various parishes throughout the diocese. And I think that if there's a young person especially considering that radical call to holiness that's, that's present within the religious vocation to talk to one of the seminarians and uh, transitional deacons to see how do they know and how do I know?
0: Right, and I think that's such an excellent opportunity to really get face-to-face with potentially your future and find, find out if it is the direction that you're being called to go. I think that's excellent. Well, Father Swicky, thank you so much for joining Rachel, me again. I, I always feel like I learned so much from you, so I appreciate your time.
1: God bless you. Have a good day.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org dac and clicking the Make a Donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.